0: you would, uh, open up the Word, open up your Bibles to First Peter chapter 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you. Turn to the end and go back about five books or so and you'll get to First Peter. We're in a study of First Peter that we're calling weird, and last week we, we talked about why we're calling that, that Peter is there ought to be something weird about our lives as believers. There ought to be something uncanny, something supernatural that's what the word means of of supernatural origin, uncanny, unnatural. and we looked at that at our identity that we reside here as aliens scattered throughout the world as those who Peter wrote to chosen and Peter immediately. Breaks into great praise, great doxology in verse 3 here. And I want to look at verses 3 through 5 this morning. It's important that we remind ourselves that Peter is writing this to a group of believers who are scattered from their homeland. They're aliens, everything is foreign to them. They are suffering strictly, specifically because of their faith, they're suffering because they're believers. And in the middle of that, Peter can burst out with great praise to God. And I want to look at that today because there are many of us come into this room today and and we're suffering, we're struggling in various ways because of various sources. And yet we too, in Christ, have a reason to praise. You see on your handout the, the main point that Peter gets at today and the main point that I want to help us to see today is this, that our salvation in Christ, our new identity as the people of God, it, it informs and it transforms everything that we go through here on this earth. Because in the end, we will be vindicated by, the, by our own resurrection, just as Christ was vindicated through His resurrection. That, that's really the word that I want us to walk out of here today thinking about is the word vindication. Vindication. All because of our new identity. All because of us being adopted into the people of God. If you're a believer today, this is the promise that God holds out for you. If you're, if you're not a believer here today, if you've been brought with by friends, if you've been brought with family and you're not sure about this whole Christianity thing, about this rising from the dead thing, this is a promise that God holds out to you. He offers it through faith in Christ. The repentance of sin and faith in Christ this promise, this living hope is held out to you as well. It's offered to you. And again, Peter is writing, again, to aliens. These are sojourners. They're scattered. And here's what, here's what Peter says to them. It's weird. He says not to live for self, to not live for the here and now. That's weird. We live in a world that says live for self now and live for now. And, and, and the Word of God says, the Bible says to live for the glory of God and live for the future. The, the world says store up treasures for yourself here and now. The Bible says store up your treasures in heaven. The world says live for your own kingdom, build your own kingdom. The Bible says, no, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The, the world says this life is all there is. The Bible says, no, there's an eternity. There's a resurrection that's waiting God's people. And that reward will far surpass anything that we've experienced or go through here on this earth. And that's why Peter can burst out in praise, even in the midst of writing to a people who are suffering. And I want us to see today how Peter could do this and hopefully translate it to our lives, that we will walk out of here today understanding just one component of the resurrection. We could spend our lives studying the resurrection and the implications. There are tons of passages that we can go to. And yet Peter hits on the living hope that we have because of Jesus Christ's resurrection. And what Peter tells us today, believer, what I want us to see today, it's there on your handout, that no matter what you're facing today, Peter says that you can praise God, that we can praise God. Why? Because we have a hope that comes from our identity as the people of God. We have a hope that comes from an inheritance. I want us to be able to walk out of here today no matter what we're facing and and have hope and experience living hope. Again, no matter what you're facing, you, you, you say, well, Chris, you don't know. Listen, whatever you're facing, people that Peter were writing to were facing the same thing. Are you you being untreated fairly at work because you're a believer? Peter's audience was doing that. Maybe you've been fired because of your testimony. Peter's audience went through that. Maybe you're suffering severe financial problems this morning. Peter's audience was suffering that. Maybe you have a husband or a wife who's not a believer and is making your life very difficult right now. Or maybe you have family members that aren't. Well, guess what? The audience that Peter wrote to, they were battling that. May, maybe, maybe you're suffering simply because you're a Christian and, and, and the world is, is, is the, Satan that prowls around like a roaring lion is having his way with you right now. Peter's audience was battling that. May, maybe it's health issues. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Peter's audience was battling that. And yet, and yet Peter writes in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In spite of all those terrible circumstances, in spite of all that, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are, listen to this, protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Everything that Peter writes here goes back to our identity. Believers who are identified with Jesus Christ, who have been adopted into his family. This is, the, this is what Peter, this is what Jesus Christ, resurrected Savior, holds out for us. And you'll see that understanding, we need to understand the awesomeness of our salvation. And the, the reality of the resurrection, you see it on their handout, the awesomeness of our salvation in order to interpret our trials. We must interpret everything we face through the awesomeness of our salvation. And let me illustrate it. Suppose, suppose in the midst of everything you were going through, suppose you wake up this, woke up this morning and you realized that you had won the Powerball. Hey, hello. $500 million. Let me ask you something. Would that change your circumstances at least a little bit? Probably. It may not make it all right. It may, but, it, but, but you may be able to go on a nice vacation at least. Mellow out a little bit. Again, it, it, the the you know you woke up this morning. If you realized that you had won the Powerball, that changed things. Listen, the bad news is this: I'm not here to tell you you won the Powerball, and and the Word of God doesn't tell you that you will win the Powerball. God God does not burst into our circumstances and 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 promise us comfort and ease here on this earth. But the good news is that God offers something better. Peter says in our text that you've inherited, believer, something far better than the Powerball. You've been born again, believer, to a living hope. You yourself will be resurrected because your Savior was resurrected. John 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will not die even though he may die. There's something far better than $500 million that is going to go away and and end with you on this earth. It's called eternal life. It's called a living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's called no matter what we face, it cannot separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And that's what Peter reminds us about this morning all through the resurrection. And and so I want to look at three points, like any good Baptist preacher, I want to look at three three points this morning that, that prove the vindication that prove the vindication and prove, that speak to the living hope what the resurrection of Jesus Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And you see it there on your handout, the first point that we see in our text in verse 3. Our new birth through faith in Christ and the fact of Christ's resurrection offers us a living hope. The reality that no matter what we face on this side of eternity, you and I, believer, will be vindicated in the end. Listen, the, vin- the resurrection proved, it vindicated, that Jesus' claims about Himself were real. Vindication. Listen, what we're offered is the living hope that we too will be vindicated. That no matter what we face, it will not separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus. The the word vindication means proof that someone or something is right, reasonable, or justified. Right now, these believers were suffering as foreigners, but one day, Peter says, you will be vindicated. Right now, you are aliens separated from your homeland. One day, you will be restored, vindicated to your homeland. One day, you will know, the whole world will know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Philippians says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus... Christ is Lord. One day, believers will be vindicated. That's our hope. That is what Peter says to fix our eyes on. The living hope that is through the resurrection of our Savior. It's verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Christ's resurrection was vindication. It was proof that He was indeed the Son of God, that He was indeed the Messiah, that He was indeed the, the, the long-awaited Savior of Israel that all the Old Testament had, had pointed to, that the Jews were waiting for. The, his, the resurrection vindicated that. It proved that, that He indeed was the Messiah, King of the Jews, the, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. The resurrection proved that. It vindicated his claims, and he lives to prove that. 1 John says he ever lives to make intercession for his followers, for his family. A living hope. Hope in the Bible is not a, it's not a fragile thing. It's not, a, it's not mere speculation. It is a concrete certain expectations. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Hebrews 11.5 and 6 says, says that um, he, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and listen to this, that, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. That's the living hope. One day, one day we will be vindicated. One day all the world will know that Jesus Christ is indeed who he, who he says he is and who the resurrection proved that he would be. That's why, again, all goes back to the resurrection. That's why Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17 through 19, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Listen, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. If there's no resurrection, there's no point in us doing what we're doing here today. If there's no resurrection, there's no point in us suffering for our faith. If there's no resurrection, there's no point in us sacrificially worshiping a Savior who's dead. And yet He lives. We have a living hope. Christ's resurrection is our only hope. The only justifiable reason why these believers whom Peter wrote would suffer with joy and still worship. Why? Because they have a living hope in the resurrected Savior. They have the promise of their own resurrection. They have the promise of eternity. They're not hoping in Jesus Christ in this life only. They're looking forward to a future. We we would be fools to suffer for somebody who was dead, who offered nothing. That's what Peter is saying. It would be foolish. We would be pitiable. Persecution, suffering, all of that, it would be foolish. And yet our Savior lives, and so it's not foolish. We have a risen Savior, the vindication of our faith. Again, our new birth, our salvation, our new identity in Christ offers a living hope through His, through Christ's resurrection. Again, it's what Jesus said when, 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 when Lazarus is dead and they're fretting. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will not die even though he dies. Listen to me. That's weird to the world. That's weird. And yet, our faith rests on the fact of Christ's resurrection. Our hope rests on the fact of Christ's resurrection. On, on the, the, our faith is in God's great mercy, as we saw Friday, that in the cross He poured out all His wrath, all His hatred towards sin. He poured that out on His Son. Why? Romans 3, 26. So that God would be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. God can rightly forgive a sinner of his sin and still maintain His justice, still maintain His holiness. Why? Because He crucified His Son in your place. He crucified His Son as your substitute. Why? So that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord could rightly be saved, rightly be forgiven. Why? Because Jesus Christ paid the price. He stood as our substitute. And the resurrection vindicated that. The resurrection was proof that God had fully accepted His sacrifice. It's like a receipt. You pay for something at the store, you make a payment for something, they give you receipt, and it says, we accept your payment in full. The resurrection was God's way of saying, I received Jesus' payment in full. Finished. Satisfied. God Himself was propitiated. That means to satisfy. The righteous demands of God Satisfied. And we have that same living hope in the resurrection, the promise of vindication, no matter what we face on this life, that's the promise that God holds out to us through Christ, that our inheritance, you see it there, our inheritance as a believer will make all suffering pale in comparison to the hope that we have in Christ. It's what Paul says again, and I go back to this verse all the time because it just recalibrates our thinking. In Romans 8, 18, For I do not consider the present sufferings worthy, to be compared to the glory that is in Christ Jesus. No suffering. No surfing. No, you will not bring up any suffering, God, and say, what about this? What about this? What about this? No, no, no. Because the resurrection will cause it to pale. pale. The, the transference to a new family, the realization of the hope of our adoption, of our, of our glorification, of shedding this blood, of, the, of this body, that's full of sin and death. That's our inheritance. And that hope comes from God through the new birth in Christ. We are His family. That's our identity. We've been adopted as believers. If you're here today and you're not a believer, God offers you adoption into a family through the forgiveness of your sin, the repentance and faith in Christ. God is promising here. Peter is writing that God has promised his family members an inheritance of eternal life and resurrection. It's promised, believer. And that is the hope that what Peter used, that's the hope of what he used to pierce through the pain and the suffering and everything they faced in this world. What pierced through that, what made it make sense, was the hope of the resurrection. Listen, and it's a living hope. It's not a distant dream It's not some faded thing that happened in the past that, you know what, we barely remember it. It's not something that we're just ceremoniously holding on to in spite of the facts. It's not a good luck charm. That's not the resurrection. It's not some inanimate object that we just, you know, cast our hope upon. No, He lives. He lives. Our hope is therefore ever living because the one whom we hope in is ever living it's firm it's stable it's active it won't disappoint there's a joyful expectation and i think about this all the time when i when i go on mission trips or when i leave and and i hate to leave my family behind i hate it but here's what changes it i know in a week i'm gonna see him again no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the living conditions are, no matter what the food is like, no matter what the bugs are like, no matter how I'm treated there, listen to me. The hope that the hope, the hope is that in a few days, you know what, I'm going home. And that hope, look, I, I can deal with any, I could deal with it all. Why? Because I'm going home. And it's the same for you and I. That's the living hope that Jesus Christ's resurrection holds out for us that no matter what we're dealing with now, in a few days, we're going home. We'll be reunited, brought back to our homeland. No longer aliens, no longer sojourners. Sojourners. That's a hard word for me to say for some reason. Whenever I read that thing, I can't. I want to throw an extra R in there or something. Sojourners. In Christ, look, you see it. In Christ, we share a new life and a promised future. We will be resurrected. We can face anything knowing, listen, it will not separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. All because of our new identity. All because of our new birth. All because we've been brought into the people of God by faith. And as the people of God, we have to allow this new identity that we have in Christ, this new birth, this this adoption into a new family, to transform and determine, really, our present reality, even in suffering. That's the living hope. That no matter what you're facing, Christ is greater. No matter what you're facing, it cannot separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's the living hope. But but not only, not only the living hope, look what he says in verse 4. He's set us apart to obtain an inheritance. Look, that's the fill-in of number two. As believers, we are promised an inheritance that will not diminish, no, longer how, no matter how long we have to wait for it. We have an inheritance that will not fade. It is not imperishable, it's not undefiled, it will not fade. It is reserved in heaven for you. Again, you see the family language I'm an, I'm an only child. If, if there's anything left in my parents' retirement when they're done, I get it. There's nothing going to be left the way they travel and mess around. They're in loving up retirement. I'm like, you guys got to slow down. I got to retire too. Listen, I get an inheritance. Family members get an inheritance. That's the promise. Sons and daughters get an inheritance from their parents when they die. Listen, and that inheritance only comes through death. An inheritance, it's attached to death. Galatians uh, 4, 7 picks up on this idea very clearly for us. Listen to what it says. He's speaking to believers who have been transferred. They have been adopted. He just talked about this in Galatians 3. Adopted into the family of God. And listen to what he says. He says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Listen, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. That's the promise that Jesus Christ holds out, that through faith in him, through repentance of our sin, you have been made an heir. Think about that for a second. You are a co-heir with Christ. He is your brother. Think about that. He's heir to the whole world. You're a co-heir. Think about that. That's the promise. That's the hope. Peter says that fuels even our our living now. And and look at the way he describes this inheritance. First of all, he says that our adoption into God's family through salvation gives us an inheritance that's imperishable. Imperishable. That means free from death and decay. The reality is, I, the, the reality is is, I may die before I ever receive my parents' inheritance. Listen, there's nothing what he's saying is there's nothing that's going to prevent you from believer, as a believer, from inheriting what God wants you to inherit. It doesn't matter what my parents leave me. If I die before they do, I don't get it. Listen, what he's saying is that's not the case here. That's not a chance here. It's not a risk here. It's not a danger here. You will get your inheritance. It's imperishable, believer. It's imperishable. It cannot be destroyed. It's permanent. It's guaranteed. But he also says our our inheritance is undefiled. It means it's free from moral impurity. It's free from uncleanliness of any kind. An earthly inheritance could be a tainted. What if you received an inheritance that had been gotten illegally? You found out that your parents had gained it illegally and they've handed it on to you, it'd be tainted. Listen, Jesus Christ bought, He paid for it. He was, he was crucified, three days later, resurrected. Our inheritance is undefiled. There'll be no family members fighting over it, no family members getting greedy and wanting more than their share. Listen, He has promised to give each of us an inheritance. And God has plenty in store for us. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills that the cattle are on. And He says, I'm going to give you an inheritance that is imperishable and it's, it's undefiled. It's free from moral decay. It's free from any impurity but also its inheritance, he says, that is unfading in verse four. It's unfading. It'll never decrease in value. No longer how long, no matter how long you wait for it, it will be fully valuable tomorrow, just as it is today. His riches are inexhaustible throughout eternity, no matter how long we wait, it will not lose value at all. He has riches reserved for us in heaven that that nothing time nothing can destroy. What what Peter says is that our inheritance is untouched by death, it's unstained by evil, and it's unimpaired by time. That is that it's it's there's no morality, totally pure. That's what Jesus was saying in in Matthew six verses. 19 through 21 look what he says do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also that's the inheritance that we have Again, these are believers, Peter is writing to, that are aliens. They're outside of their homeland. They've been scattered. And he's saying, you have a king and a kingdom that awaits you. You get eternal life where death once reigned. And that same hope is held out for believers today. No matter what you face, you have an inheritance that is permanent, never to be taken away. Why? Because Jesus lives. Because of the resurrection. Believers, you may suffer in this land, you may feel like you have no hope or future or claim to this land, you may lose everything, but listen to me, Jesus says there is an inheritance waiting for you that is far better than anything that this world throws at you. That it's far beyond the reach, it's far beyond the effects of anything that the sin and death and decay of this world offer you. That's the hope that we have in the resurrection of Christ. That's the assurance we have. We have a, we have, not only do we have a living hope, it is a living hope and an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Please let that transform your experience while you wait, that there is hope. There is an inheritance waiting for you. But lastly, Leslie, and this is crazy in verse 5, in compared to all the other false gods out there, in compared to all the other false religions that say, work your way, work your way, earn your way, keep, keep, keep. Look at verse 5 says, you are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready revealed in the last time. Think about this. You, believer, are protected by the power of God himself. Think about that. We are protected, why? Because we have a God that perseveres. We have a God that is eternally faithful. We have a God that is eternally eternally unchanging. Again, James 1 says, In Him there is no variation or shifting of shadows. He's, He's certain. And listen, not only is our inheritance secure, you and I are secure, believer. Because we have a God that guards us. We have a God that protects us, that keeps us. Satan would love for all these things to make you feel like God has abandoned you, to make you feel like he doesn't love you, to make you feel like he's not for you. And Peter says those are the one things that you absolutely cannot believe. Why? Because you are being guarded by the power of God, believer. His loving kindnesses never cease. His faithfulness never never fails. The resurrection proves that. The word protected here is literally that of a military camp surrounding the believer. Outside, the enemy assails them, and yet God stands on the very walls of your life protecting you simply through your faith. Listen to that, that he protects you. He is standing on the walls that barricade your life, and he is protecting you. It doesn't mean we won't suffer. It doesn't mean we won't go through things. Listen to me. What it means is those things will not separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That his loving kindnesses never cease. His faithfulness never fails. They are new every single morning. Why? Because he stands his post. He he lives. Let, Let that grasp that. Let that calm your soul. Cancer persecution, slander, death, it doesn't matter. God is watching over you and protecting you. Why? Because, again, you see it on your handout, nothing can separate you from your promised inheritance because we have a living hope. Our Savior lives. It's not about us, and it's about, it's about His greatness. It's about His awesomeness. The giver of the inheritance, God Himself has promised to not only protect the inheritance, He's promised to protect the one who is getting the inheritance. And the same faith that alienates believers from their society and from their friends and their family is the same faith that ushers them into an inheritance that is undefiled, imperishable, and will ever last. But it's hope. You and I, believer, have been saved in hope. It's what Paul says in Romans 8. Hope that is seen is not hope. We have been saved in hope. God is already, listen to what he says in verse 5. He has already prepared a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you hear that? We may not have, we have not received all the fullness of our salvation. But listen to me, it's kind of like a statue. It's kind of like if I had a statue up here and it was fully done and there was a cloth over it. Think about your life that way, your salvation that way. It's fully prepared. And and, you know what we're waiting on? We're waiting on God to just pull the cloth off. We're waiting on God to fully reveal it. And in the meantime, in His patience and in His forbearance, He is allowing sinners to be reconciled to Himself through faith in Christ. He has a picture of His Son on a cross, crucified, three days later resurrected, to draw men and women, sinners, to Himself, that they could be redeemed, that they could be reconciled to His Savior, while He waits. And while we wait. But we wait in hope. And Peter says the fullness and totality of our salvation, he says it's waiting to be revealed. It's waiting. It's finished. It's ready, It's just waiting to be revealed. Even in John 14, we see the picture. He says, I go, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. In, in that day, a, a, a groom would go and they would be betrothed, similar to our engagement to a, to a bride. And that groom would then go back to his father's house and he would add a room onto his father's house to prepare a place for he and his bride to live. And when that was finished, he would go back and get his bride and take her home. That's a picture of us. Of a salvation waiting to be revealed. And when he returns, I pray that these truths right here would fuel our lives, that he would find a bride that is eagerly waiting his return. That is eagerly looking for his return. That that are building their lives on the promises of God until he returns that hope is fueling, that we're fixing our eyes on that hope, that our, that our identity is in Christ, and when trials come, realizing we're not alone, that we keep hoping, we keep believe, believing, and that the God who saved us, you see it there, will not only sustain us, but He will strengthen us. Why? Because we have a living hope. Because our Savior lives. And, and that is weird. That's the hope of the resurrection. We have a living hope protected by the power of God awaiting to be revealed one day. No amount of suffering can touch it. No matter matter of time can touch it. We have an inheritance that is sure in Christ. The promise here is that suffering will not, it's not that suffering won't touch the life of the believer, it's that suffering won't separate the life of the believer from their Savior. That's the promise. That in the midst of whatever you face today, God keeps you and will get you home to your inheritance. Why? Because His Son, Jesus, lives. Vindication. And my hope is that that Easter truth will transform us as believers no matter what we face. That we have a living hope in the resurrection of Christ. Look. Look to the God who guides. Look to the God who guards you because... He lives, and not only that, He ever lives to make intercession for us. Let let our new birth, believer, let our new identity, believer, transform every single thing about our lives. Our Savior lives the reality of a living hope. Let that transform whatever you're facing today, no matter what. It cannot separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the God who saved you is the God who guards you. The God who offered the inheritance is the God who protects the inheritance. That's that's Christianity. That's the gospel. Repentance is laying down laying down your arms against God, laying down your sin and changing allegiances. And God offers that through His Son. God can rightly forgive you no matter what. Why? Because all of His wrath, all of His wrath towards sin was poured out to His Son. That's what we saw Friday night. If we confess our sins, he, listen, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because Jesus Christ died for those sins, was resurrected three days later and lives. Vindication that the offering, the payment for sin was satisfied, was accepted. That's the offer. That's the hope of Easter. That no matter what happens, no matter what has happened, you can be reconciled to your Creator and God today. And believer, no matter what does happen, it will not separate you from your Creator and your God. That's the living hope that we have in the resurrection. Be transformed by that. Let Jesus' resurrection guide your life, inform your life. One day, one day, listen, we will receive everything that has been promised to us. It's prepared and it's waiting to be revealed on that day. Vindication, my friend, is coming. Vindication is coming. Wait in confident hope through the resurrection of Christ. Experience living hope through the resurrection of Christ.